G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, there's no big lack of ethical issues facing our nation. As you know, while our attention's been focused on the shocking New South Wales abortion bill or on the passage of birth certificate legislation in Victoria or the news from overnight of euthanasia laws passing the lower house in the West Australian Parliament. Well, perhaps the release of the draft religious discrimination bill legislation is arguably at the top of the list of issues that are shaking the nation right now. It's designed to protect religious freedom. But as you'll know, so many Christian commentators argue that the draft bill does nothing of the sort. In fact, It's described as just a proposal for consultation. Damien Wilde is Director of the Australian Family Coalition, back with us today. Damien Wilde, a special welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Damien, always love your insights. And let me just preface our conversation by saying that you were one of the prime movers, one of the prime voices, one of the prime shakers when the marriage debate was going on for the no case against uh, same-sex marriage. I wonder if you can give us a little bit of an inner nutshell. Uh, How did we get to this place where our parliament is now dealing with our religious freedom issues? Because uh, just understanding this history, linking it to those uh, challenges of the debate that happened a couple of years ago, are very, very important for us. So give us a little inner nutshell history. Well, it's a very good way to set about things, Neil, because I think many people... Uh, they look at religious freedom, they look at the particular issues before us today, like Israel Salah, which has already been going on now, that case for some four months or more. But the religious freedom debate, as you say, has been going on for a lot longer. In its current form, it really um, came to prominence during the marriage debate when people like myself and, and many others involved in that campaign were very keen to try and impress on the community the fact that if we change the definition of marriage legally, uh, there would be consequences for people of faith and belief. We tried to have uh, some protections put in place during the parliamentary process in late 2017 when they did seek to legally redefine marriage. And, of course, as you know, that can got kicked down the road. We were told, you lost, get out of the way. Uh, We'll think about you later, perhaps, if at all. The government, to its credit, did at least say, uh, we will give you a review of religious freedom. And that morphed into what we now know as the Ruddock Review and the Ruddock Report. Um, I appeared before that inquiry early last year, as did many others. And then, of course, the report was handed down and sat in a drawer for the best part of six months until late last year. Uh, Your listeners might recall that selected parts of that report were leaked to try and manufacture a crisis, that uh, same-sex attracted students across the country were being expelled, Uh, gay staff in in faith-based schools were having all sorts of difficulties, and that rather than try to actually grant anything to faith communities, we needed to further clamp down on those communities, their schools and their rights to practice their faith. Now, finally, of course, we had the government pledge to do something uh, to try and implement some of these better reforms that the Ruddock Report did talk about. 
But then, of course, we got closer and closer to an election and nothing happened. But here's the remarkable thing, Neil. I think many people would have thought at that point that this was done and dusted, uh, assuming that there was going to be a change of government, when, of course, we know there wasn't. And there was quite a remarkable result in May. And now we've got this, this second chance which is why I think it's a little bit disappointing to see the package that has ultimately been revealed. But that, in a nutshell, as you said, is is how we've come to where we are. Well, the whole issue here with the draft legislation is that, uh, and that comment about, uh, you know, a document all about just consultation uh, came from you uh, because uh, when we look at the draft legislation and as other commentators have said, uh, for every positive religious freedom aspect, there's also a way out of that. So it's a document that straddles both sides of the boundary and some people are saying, well, if the government Got everybody saying this is not good. They must have done a good job. But of course, uh, but of course, uh, the real thing here is that it is an opportunity for consultation. And I wonder whether you know much about how that consultation process is likely to work out, because nobody appears to have been consulted. Uh, this is really we're back to, in some sense, a beginning here, Damien. Well, you're quite right, I think, in terms of the lack of consultation. And I'm not trying to throw the government under the bus because I do acknowledge the work they've done on this and I'm very glad that they're treating this as a priority post-election. But at the Attorney-General's uh, unveiling of this package just the other week, a number of, of large denominational leaders uh, decided not to attend at the last moment mm. because they felt this had been foisted upon them. They had not been uh, consulted properly or included along the way in, in terms of the process. Um, now, in terms of the process going forwards, I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like, uh, only that there are um, these three bills out now. We were expecting at least two. There are three. The accompanying memoranda are huge. There are hundreds of pages worth of reading, and people are still very much digesting that because it's one thing to look at black and white words on a page, but then to actually think about what practical effect they will have in the lives of believers is another thing entirely. Um, there are people still debating, you know, would these laws protect Israel Folau or not? Would they have helped Archbishop Julian Porteous or not? So I think we probably shouldn't rush the process at this point. Earlier in, in the year and last year, we were calling for the release of this report and for some action to be taken. But now that we've got this chance, I think we need to take it and to take a very slow, calm and rational approach. Today it is reported in the media, Damien, uh, LGBT advocates. And let me just uh, summarise what I think is the argument coming from the LGBT side. They say that religious people are going to have a position of superiority if we have an affirmation of religious freedom, allowing people in religious positions to discriminate. And they say that it would almost enshrine religious exceptionalism by giving privileges to people of faith. They call it a Trojan horse for hate. Now, <laughs> interestingly, we can probably actually argue the same thing from the Christian side to those who are trying to bludgeon the Christian church here. But I wonder what your thoughts are for understanding what the opposition to uh, this legislation is saying and, uh, and how we might negotiate a way forward as Christians uh, as we understand things that are happening in the process of this legislation. Well, it's in terms of negotiating and, and dare I use words like compromising, it's really a question of who we're talking to. Because if you're talking to the average secular person, uh, the average person on the street, I think they're by and large very happy to let Christians and other people just go about their lives. They, they don't see a problem, they don't mind. We really saw that with the Israel Folau case. 
it really brought it home for people who may not understand his beliefs, may not agree with them, but he was just a bloke who expressed some thoughts online and lost his job over it. Most people would say, that, that's not right. But the sort of people you're referring, referring to, Neil, the, the people talking about the Trojan horse of hate, I really question whether they'll ever be happy. Um, I think those same forces were at work in the 2017 marriage debate uh, as are at work now. And they won't be happy until pretty much all of these, these uh, rights and privileges, as they want to call them, have been stripped away. But really, what Christians are looking for in this debate is not anything special. They're not looking for any particular um, privileges and rights that would be denied to others. By and large, they're just looking to be allowed to continue to live their lives the way they always have, to send their children to school, to run their charities and not-for-profits, to do that good work in the community, uh, you know, in, 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 in freedom, which is what they've always enjoyed to this point. What it appears to me, Damien, is that there is a real wedge that is now being uh, really uh, hammered into Australian society. And to pick up on one aspect of how that wedge is potentially going to work, uh, under the draft religious discrimination bill, there is a professor uh, from the Certified Management Accountants, Professor Janik Ratnatunga, uh, who says that organisations will have to prove their social media rules relating to religious expression. Otherwise, they'll be caught out by someone saying the wrong thing. And it seems to me that businesses are going to be forced to have a policy on the rules that they have about people and their religious expression. And it seems to me that there's a wedge that's going to come in between uh, businesses and perhaps the public sector as to how people will actually and who people will actually uh, be comfortable to be employed by. I wonder if you've thought through any of those issues of the ramifications of what might happen beyond this legislation going through. I've thought about it a great deal, Neil. Um, putting this legislation aside, we can see how we've been going down this path for a while. Um, businesses and other entities uh, bringing in codes of conduct, social media policies. I mean, that's what Rugby Australia claims that they've got for lay on, breach of these codes and rules. The disturbing thing for, uh, for people of faith in particular, but really for any Australian, is it blurs the line between private and public life. Um, you know, your ability to express your opinion versus... Um, tarnishing the reputation, allegedly, of your employer. Where does one stop and where does the other pick up? And then it begs, of course, the question of why a person should, within reason, need to draw such a hard and fast line between their private and public lives. I mean, we're not suggesting that Christians should be allowed to stroll around the workplace, you know, shoving a Bible in people's faces, giving them some nice gospel tracts and readings uh, during the lunch break. But, you know, we've, we've surely blurred that line far too much now. Um, we've we've granted the corporate world, uh, I think, a little bit too much um, moral authority in this regard. And the Israel Folau case really highlighted that in a very scary way. So if these new laws were to further push us down this path, I think that would be a great tragedy. Well, there are those who say under the proposed legislation or draft legislation, it would certainly be a lawyer's picnic. And mm. so the courts undoubtedly will be filled with cases uh, if this sort of law that doesn't really mean anything uh, were to actually get up and be uh, and, and go through our parliament. Well, this is the problem with so many, um, pretty much all anti-discrimination 
legislation because remember of course we don't just see it at, at the federal level we see a great deal of it at state level and that's the the laws um under which archbishop porteous was was you know hauled before a, a tribunal um it does leave so much in the hands of the court and to grant the courts that power um to grant them the power to not just play you know, judge and jury and executioner, but also theologian, to pronounce on people's uh, religious beliefs. And they have, even within Australia, uh, delved into that territory. Well, well, that's not what your church teaches. That's not what your denomination believes. Uh, I don't see that written in any of your, your holy books and writings. That's a really dangerous place to go. And that's why I think the government needs to reconsider this. We don't want the parliament to pronounce so specifically on those things either but to just give carte blanche to courts and within the framework of anti-discrimination, which sees basically a person innocent till proven guilty, um, the, the, the case of complaint completely funded by uh, the Human Rights Commission, um, these sorts of things should, should set alarm bells off in people's minds. Okay, let me just, we're running out of time, but uh, just to touch on some of the other big things that are happening, and uh, I can't go past the fact that overnight in Western Australia there was voluntary euthanasia legislation. You've been following that along too, Damien. What are your thoughts for West Australians who are waking to the news today that voluntary euthanasia has been passed by their lower house? Now, that doesn't mean it's going to become law yet, but it's on its way there. Yeah, look, the timing uh, is is interesting coming only a few weeks after the, the first death under those laws in Victoria, you know, a mother from Bendigo ending her life. Um, the vote in WA was fairly overwhelming. I think it was 44 votes to 12 in the lower house. But that's not to say people there should despair at all because uh, all, all indications are it will be a much tighter vote in the upper house. And there are some fantastic people over there uh, doing some very good work to try and uphold life and, and prevent these sort of terrible laws spreading across the country. So my my advice to people is certainly never, never give up. Please start contacting your local upper house members as soon as you can and we do have a function on our website that allows you to do that. And for all of us, there's plenty to be prayerful about. And just to reinforce something I was talking about a little earlier this week, uh, for those residents in Western Australia, uh, there are some events that are going on. Today, there is a rally called Care Not Killing Rally. It's on today at noon at West Australia's Parliament House. Uh, and there's a call for a mass turnout at that rally. So for those listeners in Perth and uh, those who are surrounding Perth, if you can get into that rally at West Australia's Parliament House today at 12 noon, uh, there's also a filmmaker. His name is Kevin Dunn, and he's going to be speaking at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church tonight at 7.30. And then tomorrow night uh, at Victory Life Centre in Osborne Park in Perth, uh, 7 p.m. they'll be screening the film Fatal Flaws. Uh, so for those listeners in WA interested in getting some deeper insight into just what these things might mean, uh, do take advantage of the opportunity to attend those events. Damien Wilds, let me point people to, to your website. Uh, which has uh, got lots of resources that people can access and uh, there'll be blog articles that you've been able to post on a whole lot of different uh, issues that we talk about. Ostfamily.com.au Ostfamily.com.au 
And I know that, uh, like all organisations that are on the coal face like yours, and people can hear uh, just how articulate you are in communicating these important issues, uh, no doubt you're looking for a few new friends, a few new prayer partners, a few new financial supporters. So let me point people to ostfamily.com.au, the website of the Australian Family Coalition. Damien Wild, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your insights with us today on 2020. Always a pleasure, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.